Hi friends, and welcome to Trauma and Triumph. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing the stories of powerful women who have taken their trauma and transformed it into triumph. I'm your host, Krista Janine, best known for my IG handle, Krista Janine, where I discuss health, wellness, social justice, single parenthood, and everything in between. But most importantly, where I discuss how we can all take trauma and transform it into triumph in our lives. During season one, you're going to meet a variety of amazing women who have overcome tremendous obstacles, setbacks, and trauma to become the extraordinary people they are today. On this week's episode, your guest is me. I am talking about one trauma-centered event in my life that was very pivotal for me. However, because I don't believe in talking to myself for an hour, I called back our guest from episode five, Julia Sparkman, to conduct the interview for me. So that is what you are about to hear for this next hour or so. I hope season one of Trauma and Triumph has been inspiring for you, helpful, and just made you feel seen and heard and that you are not alone. And with that being said, here goes the season finale of season one of Trauma and Triumph with me as your guest and Julia Sparkman as your host. Hey, Krista, thank you so much for asking me to interview you for your podcast. It's truly an honor. And I want us to jump right in. Please tell us what is the one trauma centered event you experienced that strikes you as the most pivotal moment in your life? Yeah, it's, it's so funny. And I am so happy that you were able to do this. And like, I I love our conversations in general. So I was just grateful that you were available to do this. Um, But to the question, it's interesting, because I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to expect me to say what I'm about to say. But it's when I got pregnant at 24. Yeah. And, you know, my son's father did not want to have another kid. He has an older daughter. He was like, I don't want another kid right now. You know, he wanted me to get an abortion. And honestly, I was at a space in my life where I was like, I was ready to like settle down and like have a family, have kids, be married, you know? So I wasn't at a space where it's like, this isn't a good time for me to be a mother, you know? And like, sometimes I do feel like that happens. And I have been in that space in the past, but at that moment I was like no like I had already graduated from grad school like I had a secondary career because I had already finished my yoga teacher training so I was like there's no reason for me to not be a mom but in that because of like you know my background I grew up in the church my mom's a minister like most of the people in my like family are like super super religious and everybody like it was almost as if this one event had completely like de not even debunked had completely like erased everything I had done up until that point in my life right mm-hmm. like I had always been you know a, a AB student like always in honor roll I was super involved in high school and in college like just really doing a lot of amazing things in life and it's like this one event just completely made everything else I had done to that point like com- irrelevant to a a certain degree and it was really hard for me because all I could think to myself was I'm sorry and for most of these people it's like you've known me my entire life like you know that I'm capable of like doing things you know that I know how to maneuver difficult situations like why 
do you think this one moment is going to erase all of the the buildup, if you will, for this moment in my life, right? Because I do believe everything in life happens for a reason, is it preparation for where you're going? And I can say 1000%, my life up until motherhood prepared me to be a mother in that particular way. Um, But it was very traumatic to have all of the negative feedback I was getting um, in regards to not being married and being pregnant, in regards to, you know, not moving back home. And like I said, it's not like I was a teen mom. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I had graduated from college, I had a master's degree, like I was teaching yoga full time at the t- uh, time I got pregnant. So it's not like I was just out here winging it and like hoping for the best in life. Um, but yeah, I would say that, that was probably the the one pivotal moment where I was like, everybody sucks right now. (laughs) So, so I have a couple questions for that two part question to start. And then I have another question. So do you think some of the backlash or negative response that you got from people in your life were related to religion? So that's part one of the question. And then the other part is, do you feel like you might've been projecting some of their responses or were they actually um, overtly being negative to you? Well, you know what? And it wasn't even like in a uh, malice way. I think some of it definitely was from a religious standpoint of like, you're supposed to be married before you have kids, which within itself is very like questionable in my opinion, but that's a conversation for a (laughs) different day. Um, But I think a lot of it was like, concern that was projected as like disappointment or oh you know like this isn't what we wanted for your life or oh you know things are going to be so different and so much harder or oh you know um this isn't what your parents wanted for you and like yeah 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 like stuff like that where it was like not helpful in the situation that was already a stressful situation and even outside of religion, I think, I think people had this idea of what they wanted for my life. And this was not it. Like, you know what I mean? Like even one of my close friends and we're still best friends to this day. She was like, you know, I never thought you'd like, I never, I never saw you as like, just like a baby mama. And I was like, yeah, girl, me either. But it's like comments like that, where people are saying things either in a nonchalant way or joking way that was just very, off-putting and not helpful to the situation that was already a very complicated situation to begin with um and then some of the stuff was like my mom for instance trying to explain things that other people were saying or sharing all these things that other people were saying with me and I was like I don't need to hear that that's not helpful (laughs) you know what I mean so it was a lot of like people's idea of who they wanted me to be like they were disappointed in it but I was happy you know what I mean and I think that was the moment for me that kind of like tilted the scales toward I have to live my life the way I want to live it and not the way that everybody else has has envisioned my life to be for sure and so within that I have another question (laughs) but I do want to ask another question too so when I say people in my life I'm referring to three people that I do right. everyone, right? Um, so was it truly like multiple, you were getting it from like 
many different sources or was it just like the key people in your life that happened? No, it was many sources because like I said, like I had done all of these things and by doing all the things that I had done in life, people expected my life to look a certain way. Okay, You know what I mean? So it was coming from like friends I went to college with. It was coming from like, you know, my mom's friends and people that I like saw me grow up. It was coming from like family members. So, and I think that's the, the detriment of putting people on a pedestal. For sure. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It's like all these people had put me on this like pedestal of what my life should be. And it was almost like, you can make mistakes here and there, but you can't like make big life mistakes. Right. Because if you do, then like our idea of who you should be and what you should look like and how your life should look is now completely distorted, you know? Definitely. So that when you said the word mistake, it kind of ties into the whatever iteration of the question that I initially was going to ask was, um, why did it, why did that have to be a mistake? Like, yes, it, cause it didn't follow like the normal to direct trajectory of, you know, like go to college, get married, have a baby. Were okay. you presenting it with fear? Like, were you going to these people and being like, Oh my God, I'm pregnant. Um, his father isn't interested in having a baby or were you going to them? And were you saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm pregnant. Like, how did you present the experience to the people right well I was excited and I think that also threw people off because they were like why are you so excited I think that mixed with the combination of like who they envisioned me to be because I had one friend that said to me like well not she was we weren't close friends then but she had like seen me grow up and she was like I didn't even know you were having sex so it's like (laughs) that you know what I mean it's like that reality of like people's idea of who I was Cause yeah, I was excited. I wanted to be a mom. Like I was so into it from the moment I decided that I was going to, you know, keep my baby. Like I was super, super amped. And that was so confusing for people. Cause once again, it's like, this isn't what we thought this was going to look like. And this package (laughs) was going to be, um, so yeah, I think that, cause even my dad like said to my mom, he was like, you know, I don't know why she's so excited. Like, doesn't she know she's going to have to do this by herself and yada, yada, yada. And I think that was the other thing. Like I said, it was just so jarring and confusing to people because they didn't understand like how I was so excited about this situation, how I was so like, you know, very nonchalant about my being pregnant for the majority of my pregnancy and labor and delivery. So it was just, it was very, yeah, I don't think people knew what to do. So then of course, in that space, people just start throwing out like empty words and phrases, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? So it was, it was interesting though. Yeah. So I have a question for that then. Um, you had mentioned like, okay, once you had this experience and you were not necessarily receiving the support or encouragement that you inside of yourself had. So how did that, and you had said, oh, so that's kind of when I shifted, you know, people were projecting, they saw you in one way and then you started taking this other path. So you mentioned, you know, this is when I started kind of realizing I needed to live life for myself and on my own terms. So how has this event changed 
you or how you are on a spiritual and a mental and emotional level? How did going through that experience change you? And then speaking of emotions, I know similar to myself, you struggled with like depression, anxiety um, in the past too. So where were you at emotionally when you got pregnant and how did that then shift for you through this experience that you had? Yeah. So I think just to start, um, from a spiritual standpoint, I think I really leaned into my intuition in a way I had never done before. Um, it forced me to really ask myself, what is it that I want from this situation? What is it that I want my life to look like? And then actually do it and trust that what I was doing was right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that up until that point I had not done in life. I had not just trusted myself enough to know that what I was doing was the right thing to do. And the moment I got pregnant, I feel like all of that shifted because I didn't necessarily feel supported. Like, yes, people love me, but I didn't feel like I was 100% supported. I didn't feel like people really got why I was doing the things that I was doing. I don't think they understood just so many things about me. Right. And I was already very confusing for a lot of people I grew up with, but I tried so hard to like appease people to a certain extent. But after that time I was like, I know this is the right thing to do. And then I did it. Right. And I think that has kind of carried on throughout me being a mother, but just in you know, and carried over into other aspects of my life as well, where I really do lean into my intuition in a, in a deep way that I hadn't before. Um, and I'm going to pause you. So do you think that's where the trauma came from the fracture of what your intuition was calling you to do? And then feeling so unsupported in that call? Do you think that's where- Yeah, and I just didn't feel seen. And I think that's where the trauma really came in. I felt like I felt like people literally were looking at me and not seeing who I was. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where the trauma really came in because I had worked so hard up until that point in my life. And like I said, it's almost like when I got pregnant, everything I had done to that point didn't matter anymore and didn't exist. And I think that for me, not even I think, I know that that for me is where the trauma came in, where it was like people that were very close to me that had seen me like overcome so many things and accomplish so many things in life it's almost like they just didn't recognize me anymore. And I felt so unseen and Mm -hmm. I felt like people just completely negated like my capacity and the things I was capable of doing in that moment. And that for me was where the trauma really kind of ignited. That makes sense. And then from a standpoint of emotions, I actually was probably my most emotionally stable when I got pregnant, which is probably why I was able to handle the situation the way I did. Um, I had been doing yoga. I had been in therapy. I really had been like working on myself because I, like I said, I knew I was ready to make that transition into like being, you know, a wife and a mother and whatever. And I didn't want to carry my trauma onto my child. So even when I was pregnant, a lot of the things that I did were me trying to figure out how to work on myself and trying to figure out how to, to be the best version of myself. So I could be a good parent. Um, yeah. So I think that's where it really, started to shift for me because I was already on that path because I knew I wanted to be a mother and I knew 
that I wanted my life, my child to have a certain life and not have all the trauma that I did. So from an emotional standpoint, I was very stable, but I was also very lonely Mm because a part of what I did after my initial announcement to everybody was like, I really withdrew from, from people. I didn't hang out with people a lot. I didn't really talk to people a lot because I just didn't want the extra noise. Um, so yeah, I felt very lonely while I was pregnant, but at the same time, like not depressed, just alone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then mentally speaking, as you shared and what initiated the trauma, you had always been mentally, like, even if you were suffering emotionally, so strong, you know, you persevered, you overcame so many things. You were so successful. It was like a click of a check mark. I'm like making, it's hard to hear, you know, it's like checked one uh, accomplishment, check the next accomplishment. It seems like you brought that same mentality into motherhood because you continued. It's like, we spoke about it when you were on my podcast, like you signed up for graduate school right away. I think right, yeah. Pregnant, it's like you just kept moving forward, kept checking off those boxes. So, um, how was that experience for you to have to have almost an unsupported pregnancy? I know you had people in your life that were yeah. supportive of you, but you know you weren't receiving that. Um, as you said, you weren't being seen in the way that you wanted to be seen, and so you had to kind of almost carry forward by yourself and then continue to be the woman that you felt was being erased by this experience what was that like for you yeah I think it was interesting because once again it even going back to grad school right I remember I was applying to grad school and people were like well just wait till your kid's older like you don't need to do that now and yada 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 and I'm so happy I did not listen to them in that regard and not saying it was easy to have a newborn and be in grad school but it was the best thing I could have done. And I tell people this all the time because a lot of women ask me like, oh, do you regret being in school with your son so little? And I was like, no, I don't because he doesn't know I wasn't there. And I know that sounds like crazy, but he wasn't aware that I was away from him and he wasn't aware of all the like other things I had to do, but he would be aware now as an eight-year-old that mommy has to go do certain things and this, that, and the other. And yes, it was hard for me because there were certain things that I wasn't able to do. And there were certain things that I would have loved to like be a part of that I either had to work or had to be at school for. But at the same time, it's like, I knew that this was something that was only going to like make our lives better in the future, which it has tenfold. So it was, it was things like that, right. Of like really taking time with myself. And again, like I said, I, I very much so withdrew from spaces that just were not like conducive to my mental health that were not emotionally supportive, that were not, you know, spiritually supportive and just focused on like what I needed to have a healthy pregnancy to like be a good mother once my kid got here. And it sucks that it had to happen that way, but I'm so grateful that it did because I wouldn't be the mom I am now if I hadn't had the pregnancy that I had. Definitely. And, and speaking of healing and taking care of yourself, how did you start to heal from that experience? Because from the outside, it's not, it wasn't, you know, like one direct moment, it was micro moments. And so yeah. how did you start to 
you know, put those pieces back together to feel whole again after you experience that trauma? You know, it's, it's honestly been a process and I don't even think that I'm like fully healed from it. And in, in a sense, because there's like those things where like, even to this day, if people say things or like do things, I still get a little like, it's just that trauma response still comes back up. But I think the process of healing looked more like me figuring out a path that worked for me and my son, Mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to appease everyone else in my life who either wasn't financially helping, wasn't physically helping, and just had all these opinions that were not helpful. It really forced me to ask myself, who do I need in my life and who do I not need in my life? And I think that was a process of healing that I really needed to do anyway, right? Like I needed to remove people out of my life that were not good for me. I needed to readjust the way I looked at the world. And that's how my healing happened because I was able to remove myself from situations, from relationships that just weren't good for me, you know, in general and weren't supportive and weren't what I needed in my life at all outside of being a parent. I just didn't need those relationships in my life. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like anyone could benefit from that. And it almost sounds like you're saying boundaries. So Mm -hmm. as you're moving through that, setting those boundaries, what strength did that give you? And what perspective did that give you? What insights did that give you for not only yourself, but life? Yeah, I think the insight it gave me was that just because people were important in your life at one point doesn't mean that they have to take up the same amount of space at another point. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we hold on to relationships and friendships and even like maintain relationships with our family because we feel like we're supposed to or because we feel like we have so much history with people and it's like no like sometimes people are in your life for that moment and it can be great and it's no more or less valid than people that stay in your life for a lifetime but you have to know when you're transitioning out of relationships and stop forcing them to happen and that for me was the biggest like aha moment because I would I would like hold on to people just for the sake of holding on to them and it's so unhealthy especially for me because I'm the type of person where I really allow people to be their full selves around me Mm -hmm. and though that sounds like a beautiful thing what happens when it's not a beautiful thing is actually a very traumatic thing right because people will bring all of their you know, trauma and their hangups and their anger and their aggression to you because they know you can quote unquote handle it. And it's just very scarring for you and your mental health and like who you're trying to become. So that was something for me that I really had to figure out, like, how can I love somebody and not allow them to continue to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, that's like always been my biggest thing is I never want people to feel like, you know, they can't be themselves around me. And I never want people to feel like they're alone, but at the same time, I'm like, how can I still support people and not have their shit <laughs> impact me, you know? Definitely. And if this was my podcast, I'd be like, this is it. This is the topic because <laughs> I feel that that's what we do is we hold on to relationships because they almost become ingrained in a part of who we are. And I love that you shared that because sometimes the best thing we can do for ourselves is walk away from 
different relationships in our lives, whether it be family or friends. And that can be really challenging. And since this is your podcast, you can cut this question if you don't want to talk about it. But we, we have previously spoken about your relationship with Christopher's father, and that's a huge boundary that you had to take on too. Is that part of your healing process? How you started to kind of create some parameters around your experience with him? Yeah. And you know, what's crazy is that's still like a very big process and part of where I am right now in just the journey into motherhood Mm -hmm. and really having a safe environment for my son, especially Mm -hmm. since the fire. Um, So anybody listening that isn't aware, we had a fire in December and like lost everything. And since then, like Chris has been in therapy, you know, I was able to get full legal and physical custody of him. So, you know, his father doesn't have any rights to a certain extent to him outside of like visitation that we agree upon which is like based on what I think is okay but as of late even that has been something where I'm like I'm really having a moment with myself to be like you know what just because somebody is like biologically related to someone else even if it is their parent it does not mean that that person is good for their life Mm -hmm. and I think at Mm -hmm. yeah and I think at this point And this is something that I struggle with because this is a fight that I have to have with other people in my life. They're like, oh, you know, boys need their fathers or, you know, it's hard growing up as a black man in America and he needs like his father to help support him. And though I don't disagree with any of that by any scope of the imagination, I feel like we use that phrase and those terms so loosely that we don't think about what it looks like when you have somebody in your life that is actually not good for you just to say you have them in your life Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and just to say oh yeah I knew my father growing up or oh yeah my dad was a part of my life but like did they add value to their your life or did they like cause more detriment did they impose toxic ideologies on you or did they actually give you useful information for you to become an adult that is thriving and healthy and emotionally stable and can actually have a relationship with other human beings and I think right now and honestly as of late like recently I've cut off all communication with him between him and I and between him and Chris because there's just so much like uh, in his ideology that is just not conducive to what I believe or to how I want to raise my child and I'm like you're not even providing that much positive impact on a grand scale and these small little nuggets that I have to consistently like deprogram after you have conversations with my son is just giving me more work and it's not worth it you know what I mean so yeah that's (laughs) that's a hard boundary for me and -hmm. it's a hard boundary because you also have to, well, I mean, I guess you don't have to, but I find myself trying to explain it to other people too, as to why this is the choice that I have made, because I don't think people get it. They're like, well, why would you do that? You should just let him, you know, be in his life. Cause like something is better than nothing. And I'm like, that is the worst thing to teach your child that something is better than nothing. <laughs> like, why would you even say that to your child? Cause that's so unhealthy. Yeah. And I, I, we've spoken, um, I had a father that it would probably have been better for me to not have him in my life at all. So I have nothing but respect for you with how you've handled the situation. And it sounds like kind of going back to what we spoke about in the beginning, 
you've, this is something that you've been dealing with people coming at you, um, asking you or coming at you with their opinion of how they think you should act, do, or be. And so now I think Chris, he's eight years old, mm-hmm. right? So you've yeah. had almost nine years of practice of hearing kind of naysayers and then sticking to your own truth. So if someone is listening and they're experiencing something similar, it might not be the exact same situation. Um, what would you tell them? Like, what would you want to share with them to help them navigate how to stay true to their themselves as they're, you know, facing backlash in their life from people that they care about? Yeah. And I think, and I say this from a very privileged standpoint because I have a many perspectives that I can like approach the situation from. Um, and, and it's almost, unf- I don't want to say unfair, but because of just the knowledge I have about so many aspects of the way we live life as human beings, I can say, you know, you have to look at it from a holistic standpoint, right? Especially being a single parent especially being a single parent in the black community, but I'm sure this transcends all communities, especially poor communities or like other disenfranchised communities. You have to ask yourself if the way you're interacting with your child's other parent is because of you, is because of the way you were culturally raised, is because of your family of origin, or it's because you actually want what's best for your child and honestly all of these things can be true at the same time but you have to look at it from a holistic standpoint like when I think about why I chose to raise my child the way I'm choosing to raise him it's it is it's because culturally there are a lot of things culturally within the black community that I don't agree with it's just unlearning so much from a cultural standpoint and being like actually these are the fundamental things I want my child to experience. And you can always find somebody else to fill in the gaps because I don't care if you have a two-parent household or not. Grandparents are involved. Uncles and aunts are involved. Like community members are involved. Like no two people raise a child anyway, as much as people want to pretend like they do. There's so much other feedback that actually pours into your child to make them who they're going to be. So for us to just put that on and project that onto black women that oh your child because it's a boy child is going to like end up horrible because their father isn't involved it's just detrimental to us as a race and that's something I fundamentally don't agree with so that also goes into how I'm raising my child right so I say all this to say and a lot of times and this is the last thing about this but a lot of times as well what I've seen and why it's taken me so long to get to the point where I'm like, actually, I don't want Christopher's father in his life is because I had to make sure it wasn't because I was upset that we weren't together. And it was actually because I didn't want him in Christopher's life just because of who he was as a person. And I think I had to really know for sure that it didn't have anything to do with like my relationship with him and me wanting us to be a family unit and him not doing that and me actually saying oh no what you're doing is just not a good example for like my son and I don't want you in my son's life because you're not a good example of what like manhood should look like in my opinion or just being a human honestly like like sometimes I'm like 
like your fundamental thoughts and ideologies are not things that I want my son to think and believe. For sure. Yeah. So yeah, just kind of like taking a step back and, and being really clear on yeah. clear with yourself, honest with yourself. I think that those are really important things to share with someone who would be experiencing that same situation and, and kind of backtracking here because you've had, you know, it's not like the situation happened. It's been ongoing, you know, it's been layers within yeah. your journey as a mom. If you could go back in time and go to all of the people who made the situation traumatic for you, how would you have wanted them to support you, right? So say if there's someone listening right now and their friend or family member says, I'm pregnant and the father is not going to be in the picture and I'm excited and I'm keeping the baby. How would you want someone to show up for you in that situation? Like how can you kind of guide someone to show up for someone else in that situation? Yeah. And I mean, and I'd be completely transparent. I did have people that showed up for me, you know what I mean? And I had people that were very much so supportive of me, but it was, it was like my friends, which honestly is like the story of my life. If we want to get down to the nitty gritty of it, but it was just like being there for me and asking me what I needed and if I needed help with things and just like checking in on me, you know, and not telling me what I should or shouldn't be doing, but really just supporting me in any way that they could. And I think this goes back to anyone going through a life altering situation, whether it's a trauma or not, people have to stop projecting how they want to help people onto them and literally ask, what do you need? So if there is somebody out there listening who has a family member that is going to be a single mother or you're in the process of becoming a single mother yourself, I think from that standpoint, as a single mother, you need to be very clear about what you need and what you don't need. And then from somebody as a family or friend or associate, asking them, what can I do to support you? How can I help you? As opposed to projecting things onto them and giving them unsolicited advice and I mean that's parenthood in general (laughs) like Mm -hmm. don't give people unsolicited advice if they ask then answer if they don't leave them alone um but I think that's really how you can be more most supportive because so often people just want to do what they want to do to help you Mm -hmm. and they're not listening to what you're telling them you need yeah. Or they think that they're being helpful by projecting fear, yeah. or, you know, or like, or even like protection. Like they feel like they need to protect you. They feel as that being helpful. And in reality, it's doing the exact opposite of what their intention is. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, once again, it's like that space of really providing grace, but then also giving yourself grace. And I wish I would have done that more sooner because I really didn't leave any room for error within myself right mm-hmm. it's like I didn't leave room for any error for a very long time as I was parenting and when anything would go wrong I really just felt like I was alone and by myself and like didn't have any support or didn't know where to actually look for that support like I knew how to get things done but in regards to like support I wasn't able to fully be open to like people helping 
Uh, and that has been a very long journey for me, which is interesting enough why I think I was so capable of being open to support in December is because I had like slowly been training myself that it is okay for people to help you when you need help. And it is okay for you to receive things, you know, when the universe or God or whoever like makes provisions for you to be taken care of. But I mean, that literally was like a seven year process of me getting there and being like, and not saying, no, we're okay. We don't need anything. You know, because in the past, that would have been my immediate response to be like, ah, we're okay, we'll figure it out. I have renter's insurance, whatever. But just really being able to say, I'm going to receive what is here for me to receive was a long journey for me. And I'm glad it happened because otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have been able to, to bounce back as quickly, but it definitely was a journey to even get to that point. For sure. So speaking of journeys, this is the Trauma to Triumph podcast. So tell us, how have you found your triumph? Like, what do you describe as triumph? Do you describe that as triumph, getting to a space where you're open to receiving? Like, where did the triumph come in your story? Yeah, I think the triumph came in my story, honestly, from being able to show vulnerability and to show weakness and to not have to pretend to like I had everything together and taken care of and finding the right people to support me when I needed to be supported, but then also acknowledging when people were not there to support me and did not have my best interest in heart and were not the type of people I needed in my life. Like that for me was the journey of just understanding myself and how I exist in the world and being open to say (laughs) you're not good for my life and mean it and not take it back, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and saying it in a way where it's like, you're not a bad person. You're just not a person that's beneficial to my life and my spirit and what I'm doing. And I think so often in society, we find ourselves being like, oh, well, he did this to me and he's a bad person. And that's like, it's like, no, like sometimes our energy just does not cosmically connect to other people. And they might very well not be bad people. You know what I mean? Like we're all flawed human beings. And sometimes energetically, we're just not on the same wavelength and that's okay. So, you know, I never want to be at a space again where I'm so hurt by people that I'm angry toward them in such a strong way that I am like pointing the finger at them. And that was a lot of my pre-motherhood, right? And even into like, like I said, as recently as December and even now, like going into that space of being like, I don't want to be angry with somebody just because I no longer want them in my life. I just want to know that they're not good for me and then move on. For sure. And I mean, to kind of summarize that and to mirror it back to you, it's your triumph has been humanness, right? Like recognizing the humanity within yourself, being vulnerable, and then giving yourself, which I find is so hard, not only for myself, but from others that I hear to break away from relationships that are no longer supportive in a way where it's not like middle fingers to the sky, like we're through. It's more of like, prayer sign hands like wishing the best for you but the best for me is walking this way while sending like ample love and 
blessing you so that's such a beautiful triumph story it doesn't always have to be like climb to the top of the mountain right it's almost like the humility of staying grounded and connected to your own truth and to the realization that our stories are continuously evolving and not all of the characters are going to come along and be a part of the next chapter so I'm so happy that you said that. I was like, this is not about me. So we're not going to make it about me now. But once this episode goes out, I'm going to tell a follow-up story, you know, how your words are helping me so much right now. Cause it's so true. Sometimes we have to walk away from people in our lives that are no longer yeah. meant to be in the next season, the next chapter. And not be mean about it. And I think sure. that's something that I was really tested in recently Mm-hmm. Where like there was a relationship in my life, and I know we we're gonna wrap up a little bit, but this is the last story. There's a relationship in my life, and I was close friends with this person for a very long time. And for whatever reason, they were upset with me. Still don't quite understand one thousand percent why they were so upset with me because what they were upset about directly impacted me and nothing that they were doing or that I had done anything to them. And like they were just really saying a lot of like not nice things to me. And I had things that I could have said that really would have like hurt them, mm-hmm. like in a real way. Um, because once again, we're all evolving, but our brains still work, you know? And like, there are so many things that I could have said throughout that conversation that I chose not to, because my goal is to never hurt anybody else, especially when I'm conscious about what I'm about to say is going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been a process for me too, because I used to be like, oh, if you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to hurt you worse. And I'm going to make you like feel it forever and make you question everything (laughs) about who you are and getting to a place where I can just be like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I don't like what you're saying. I feel like you're being very unfair to me, but I'm not going to give it back to you, even though I could. I think that was a real true testament of my growth as a person, Mm -hmm. because a few years ago, shoot, last year, honestly, like, I don't know that I would have been able to do that. So my goal, like I said, is to never hurt anybody, even if they are hurting me, especially in regards in like a mental or like spiritual or emotional way. Like, I'm not going to hurt your feelings just to hurt your feelings, you know? Um, But yeah, so it's, it's, it is, it's a journey of humanity and realizing that we're all just trying to figure it out, but also realizing that in the process, people will come and people will go, you know, and that's okay. And you don't have to hate them just because they're gone. And you don't have to be mean to them just because they were mean to you. Like it's, it's definitely a process of like humanity's evolution in real time. Yeah. And talking about triumph, it's like hurt people, hurt people. Right. So it's like, it just shows your growth and the healing that you've had within to be able to feel hurt, to feel pain, and then not want to push that back out on someone else or something else. And instead to be able to stop yourself and recognize what you're going to do or what you could do and instead make the kinder, nicer choice. So that's your, and and wanted to do a little bit. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So the part I'm really excited about, because I've never done this in a podcast before, is we are on to the lightning round. And before we go there, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. 
because it's so powerful. I always learn so much from you. And I know that everyone listening is going to walk away. And I guarantee everyone that will listen to this episode has one person in their life that they're holding on to for one reason or another. And hearing your words is going to be a really good push to examine that. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. And now on to my really (laughs) moment lightning round question number one what's the one thing you're most proud to have achieved in your life um parenthood I really enjoy being a mom I do it's it's a lot of fun yeah definitely so number two what is your number one goal for 2022 uh I was afraid to say this out loud so I'm working with my financial advisors right now. And next year, I want to have a million dollar year and not necessarily have a million dollars in the bank by the end of the year, but just like gross a million dollars. So through my businesses, through work, um, through my other projects, like that's, that's the goal for 2022. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, and then the, your goal for 2023 will be teaching people how to time manage (laughs) in the way that you do. So they (laughs) make space for all that because it's still a mystery to me. But anyways, back to the (laughs) questions. Um, That's an amazing goal to have. Uh, Number three, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, five years. I'll be 38 by then. So, you know, I really, one of my goals in life is to become a billionaire, right? So on, on track to actually achieve that by the time I'm like 45, 50, um, have my own company, right? But also have it be a sense of like vertical integration. So health and wellness. Mm-hmm. And then I might be adopting a kid and when mm-hmm. I'm 35, so like in two years, so I would have two kids um, and property and, you know, just happy and living life on my terms, like holistically on my terms and not worried about what other people think and just really helping other people live their best lives. Like that is probably my number one goal in life is to like gain, you know, my wealth by actually helping other people's lives be better and helping people live their best lives. Like, I do believe there is a space where you can still, maintain your humanity and maintain your ethics and make money at the same time and that is my goal in life so just being on path for that love that take that with me um (laughs) number four what first impression do others experience when they meet you um I hope that they experience just a lightness and like they can fully be themselves um I do. I meet people all the time and they're like, oh, you know, I feel like I've known you forever. Like I'll meet people and they start telling me their whole life story. So just that they're in a safe space and that, you know, I am a source of comfort for them and a source of um, security and they don't have to feel like they have to fake it with me. They can just be their authentic selves. Yeah. So Krista and I have known each other for like 10 or more years now. And that was truly like when I met you, um, it, we did teacher training together and it's kind of like scary. And we had a really big group, like 20 people or something, you know, it wasn't like some trainings are very small and intimate, but we had a large group. And I just remember you being like, so light that was, yeah. Like just kind of came in, you know, laughing you have your big smile um yeah so I definitely think that lands when people meet you I'm 
glad. I'm glad. Sometimes I'm like, do people just think I'm silly and can't take anything serious? <laughs> yeah. You, you felt it was, you were very comfortable in your own skin versus like some people that looked like a deer in the headlights. Right. <laughs> huh. Yeah. So last question, what's one of your quotes to live by and why? Yeah, it's one of my favorite quotes and I have it tattooed on me in Sanskrit actually, but I'll say it in English, um, is may all beings everywhere be happy and free and may my existence aid to that happiness and freedom. Um, I think that's one of my favorite quotes ever just because I do feel like we all deserve to be safe. We all deserve to feel seen and be heard and just experience everything that life has to offer. And so often because of the world and the society we live in, so many people are not allotted that same opportunity as others. And if there's anything that I can do to make people really feel like they're supposed to thrive or they have the authority to thrive and just feel good about themselves and where they are, like I 1000% want to do that. Well, then that ties right back into your vision. So, so beautiful. And again, this was such an honor for me. Thank you so much, Krista. And thank you everyone for listening today, for giving me this opportunity to have this amazing conversation with your forever host, Krista Janine. (laughs) And yeah, anything that you'd like to add in before we wrap up? Um, I just hope everybody enjoyed this season. This is the last episode of the first season of Trauma and Triumph. And and I hope you all gained something from it. I hope you all felt seen and that you could relate to the many people we had on the podcast this season. And I hope you will be back for season two. I definitely will. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. 